Hello and welcome to Gamma Project. My name is Dean Statman, I'll be your host, and this is episode seven. This episode is brought to you by iFit Nourish. iFit Nourish delivers personalized nutrition to your door with protein, vitamins, and minerals to support your individual needs. When you go to ifitnourish.com, you'll fill out a quick questionnaire with some basic information, things like gender, age, height, and weight, before providing insights into your lifestyle, like your typical energy levels, daily sun exposure, whether or not you're a smoker, how often you exercise, the kinds of exercise you do, and of course, your goals. In the dietary section, you'll input how much fruit and vegetables you get through your day, any dietary preferences, like if you prefer vegan or a vegetarian mix, food allergies, how often you plan to drink the shakes, and whether you intend to use them as a meal replacement or supplements. You can also pick your favorite flavor. Whether you're looking to build muscle, lose weight, increase your endurance, improve energy levels or athletic performance, or even just maintain, iFit Nourish was created to arm you with the nutrition that you need to go after your goals while also maintaining a solid daily nutritional foundation. When I went to ifitnourish.com to try it out for myself, the questionnaire took less than a minute to fill out. And when the system presented its recommendation, I was able to look through the supplement facts before completing my order. Your first personalized order is free. Just pay $5 shipping and you'll also get a free shaker bottle. I like to eat vegan as often as I possibly can, so I got two weeks worth of a daily protein shake made from plant-based ingredients. And when you're ready to re-up, Use discount code just for you. That's J U S T number four letter U at checkout to take another twenty percent off any personalized iFit Nourish mix. Try it for yourself today at ifitnourish.com. That's I F I T N O U R I S H dot com. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to the show. So back when Gamma Project was still just an idea, I ran it by Tim Ferriss who, if you don't know, is the best-selling author of books like The 4-Hour Workweek and the host of The Tim Ferriss Show, an outstanding podcast without which I may not have ever found the inspiration to create the show you're listening to right now. Tim's advice was simple. He told me to put out at least nine episodes before deciding whether to quit or continue with Gamma Project. So I decided that the first season, and possibly each season thereafter, would be nine episodes. Now, there are some benefits to a smaller season that I found. For one, it helps with sponsorships. You'll have more marquee episodes, like season debuts and season finales, which advertisers really like. Also, it's a lot easier to upsell a sponsor by one or two episodes when there are only one or two episodes left in the season. Like, why buy one more if there are only two left? Just take them both. On the flip side, a short season, especially a debut season such as this one, really increases the pressure on me as a producer. Essentially, I have to visualize the soul of Gamma Project. Like, what is this brand? And then assemble that entity using nine separate components that are each both similar and radically different. When you look at it that way, guest curation is right up there with interview technique. And the simple fact is that if this podcast is going to do what I want it to do, I have to nail both, consistently. Which brings us to today's guest. When it comes to curation, and particularly in the rapidly evolving global fitness and wellness industry, few can boast as much hands-on experience as Sham Choudhury. After launching his career as a management consultant and spending the better part of two decades hyper-focused on improving the efficiency and profitability of various businesses, Sham took a turn into the health and wellness world, where he has since become one of the industry's most prolific tastemakers. 
After a brief period consulting at Juice Press, Schaum accepted the position of COO, in which he worked aggressively to grow the retail footprint and sales of the now ubiquitous brand. In 2014, with the goal of providing customers with a more sustainable means to supporting a healthy diet, Schaum eventually left Juice Press, whose offering consisted solely of juices and raw foods, to found Indie Fresh and offer a wider assortment of healthy alternatives to popular comfort foods. In the short span of just three years, the company played a critical role in creating and developing a dialogue about the viability of incorporating healthy foods into a cosmopolitan diet without quote-unquote dieting, and it thrust Sham into the nucleus of the New York City fitness industry. It's no surprise then that late last year, Sham was tapped by international hospitality giant Soho House to serve as its global director of health and wellness. No more than six months into the job, Sean has already grabbed the opportunity by the horns and is well underway with developing Soho House's most comprehensive and exciting global fitness concept to date. I know because I got to personally sample it during development. Using Soho House as a jumping off point, Sean and I discuss his creative process, from ideation to execution, as well as the personal habits and tactics that allow him to perform optimally, both physically and mentally. We also talk about the power of authenticity, how to test whether an idea will sink or swim, and my personal favorite, how to create a clear vision of your ideal life and then reverse engineer it into reality. It's a productive and inspiring conversation, and I hope you will take as much away from it as I have. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sham Chaudhuri. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking the time. Um, so we're here at your apartment in New York City, um, and when I walked in, we started talking about um, musical instruments, and I said I play guitar, and you mentioned that you have a room here with, like, what, six guitars, yeah. two basses. <laughs> uh, tell me about that. Do you play? Yeah, so I, I've been playing now for, I'd say, a little over uh, 20 years. It was a hobby I picked up in high school, kind of like self-taught myself. I'm a lot older than you guys, so that was during the years of, like, black nail polish and guy liner and the beginnings of Depeche Mode and alt rock. So, How old are you? I'm 43. Okay. Man, I thought you were like mid thirties. I'm Thank not even going to lie. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a group fitness. It uh, turns back the aging clock. <laughs> um, so what, when did you start playing guitar? Um, I, probably like a little seriously by the time I was like 13, 14 years old. Um, it kind of picked up as a hobby. I thought it was like a little cooler than playing the clarinet, which is what I played before in, um, in middle school and high school. Um, and uh, kind of kept it as a hobby ever since. Do you, so you, is this room that you have here just set up just for like, do people come over and jam or like? What? We do every now and then. I think it's like more, it's like the guest room. So I think in most like New York apartments, cause you have like, uh, you're constrained with space. Uh, the extra room always becomes like sort of like the home office slash like stash all the stuff that we can't put anywhere else in the apartment. So I think it's kind of become like the the man's den. I think Ashley uses it a lot for like a, a, what I'll call like a laundry staging area um, <laughs> where, uh, where where stuff kind of gets like, you know, thrown into and things like that. So speaking of staging areas, so you're um, with Soho House right now. You're the global director of health and wellness. And in every experience I've always I've ever had with Soho House, it's always been whether it's been in New York or London or somewhere else, uh, just like a very meticulous sort of you know environment. Like everything's super planned out, and just the aesthetic is very dialed in. Um, and then a couple of days ago, 
you invited me over to the west side uh, of New York to try out sort of a, a fitness concept that you're working with for Soho House. And it was interesting because the building where this was, it was this like nondescript building. The name Soho House was like scribbled on a piece of paper on the buzzer. It felt very like behind the scenes. And the floor where we did this, it was sort of like a, you know, very industrial um, warehouse kind of vibe and just like corkboards set up with like designs like pinned into them and had like a treadmill on the floor. It was very intriguing to see behind the curtain of like what goes into planning something for, you know, like a global hospitality business or experience like Soho House. How much of that goes into it? Like how much are you guys sort of testing behind the scenes before you're actually rolling them out into the, the market? Um, I, th- I think a, you know a place like Soho House on the surface you know seems very simple, right? Like you're going in there, you you could stay at some of the hotels, you can work there during the day, you can grab something to eat. Um, but if you think about what the overall ethos is, is to sort of have a home away from home for its members around the world. Um, those things need to be very comfortable to people, and to get comfortable in your own house and get comfortable for you know thousands of people, I think is two different sort of undertakings. So I think. You know, whether it comes from uh, a fitness concept that we want to roll out, it can't be like what I want to do or what, you know, six group fitness trainers want to do or like, you know, um, or the general person who's never done group fitness wants to do. Um, So I think in designing something, we wanted to come up with something that matched the aesthetic and then also the overall ethos, which is inclusive at Soho House um, for the people that are taking part in that type of activity. So I think when we were coming up with the program, we wanted to make it sort of self-dependent uh, uh, in terms of a level of, of, of effort. So instead of having you know, 16 different versions of a class and 10 different names and different body parts on different days and things like that, we really wanted to bring the, um, what we call the most effective form of training uh, for the largest number of people, which right now is high intensity interval training um, to be accessible to everyone. Um, so as you saw, we took out things like, you know, plugging in a treadmill using the state of the art, like non-motorized treadmill, um, a, um, a guided weight machine uh, so that people wouldn't have to sort of like disrupt the class by going and picking up weights or changing weights and things like that. Um, and then um, and also be able to preserve their form while doing certain exercises and then also turning the experience towards each other. So um, instead of being plugged up against a mirror, like facing into nowhere, we wanted each one of the groups, whether it was two people or 50 people to be connected to sort of the experience. Um, So, you know, that sounds relatively simple, kind of getting on the complicated side in terms of planning, but I I don't want to spend the whole, you know, discussion on on what we're doing over there. We could though, if you wanted to, but but I think that, um, I think in doing that, uh, and if you take down certain elements of that sort of program, then how do you get you know the trainer who played Division One lacrosse as a captain, which is actually Chris Howell, who we have sort of curating the experience over there? How do you make it challenging for him? And then the restaurateur who uh, works out very infrequently that wants to sort of get back into shape. And I think that you know initially when you look at machinery like that, you're like, hey, I can't do this. Everyone's response always in fitness is like, oh, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? So for us, it was very critical to come up with 
an infrastructure where can't kind of leaves the vocabulary mm -hmm. and everything then becomes like, what am I going to do with it? So if you look at that machinery, if I were to put it on, um, you know, I joke around about it and then, uh, you know, and other events that we've been out with like Brian Mazza and stuff like that have jokes about it with each other is that, you know, he's a 150% kind of guy, almost 75% kind of guy in terms of like working out, try to go more frequently, reduce the risk of injury and things like that. So how do you put someone like that and someone who's at 150% and someone who's starting out at like 10% on the same sort of equipment? You know, I'll tell you right now on the Kinesis machine, the one that we're using right now by Technogym at 100% max, I'm at maybe 50% of that weight stack on what I call my strongest area, which is the chest. Um, and then, you know, we could kind of dial it in, dial it down from there on other people sort of using it. So it's <laughs> a pretty versatile machine. Um, so I think that that getting that sort of together um, was uh, a lot of the planning. How does it look? How do you get it in there? What are the right measurements? Is it a 20 foot distant? Things like that. Then once we got into it, I think that that's a combination of, of wanting to get it right and then not have any risk for implementation against a global organization. So if we're here in New York and we implement it in Los Angeles, that's different from implementing it in Hong Kong. So I think that we wanted to make sure that without any reasonable doubt, once we set the room up, um, the organization has a lot of very, very accomplished fitness professionals throughout. Um, how can we give them a playbook and have a concept that can be run off of a playbook? Um, so, you know, with other brands that I'm involved in that spend a lot of time on the hospitality element, whether that's music, whether that's um, uh, planning like big drops and drama inside the actual fitness model. Um, what we're doing with this hit concept was to try to make it um, sort of group fitness within um, the general infrastructure of a fitness facility. So. Uh, even to the point where uh, some of the more modern locations wouldn't even have walls hmm. um, for that equipment so that when it's not used, it's actively engaged with consumers. So um, the space actually becomes bigger. Does that does that sort of answer your question a little bit? Yeah. Oh, cool, man. Now, in that same staging environment, you guys had like there was fitness in one area, but yeah. then you sort of had like sofas and like color swatches and stuff. And I remember you saying how, you know, they'll like bring in a sofa or something and then look at it under like different light and like with different fabrics to see like where where this would fit in yeah um into a soho house and how it would look um that idea of sort of staging before launching something you've been involved in a lot of um, other businesses like you mentioned uh, you've been an investor you've been involved with startups in terms of your approach do you go do you favor more of that sort of idea where it's you know test something like testing things out in the market or internally before launching um, do you prefer to test concepts out there in the wild, put them in front of people, or, or file it down, get it perfect before you sort of um, put it out there? That, that's, a, that's a great question, Dean. I think like, you know, if I were to answer it you know, very honestly, I think I've always been the kind of person that abruptly uh, implements things without thinking about them too much and, and always tries to play catch up um, afterwards. So if I have a good idea, I try to run with it and then, and then see how I could kind of organize behind that. Um, you know, just stepping back a little bit, a transition from like owning your own business and then and and then going back into the workforce and actually working for other people in an organization that's there is a is a difficult transition for some people. Um, I think for me it was very simple. I, I I felt like just the way I described it to you. I've always been great at having a lot of ideas, 
um, and then sometimes being forced to put them into structure, but not training my mind to think about an idea, flush it out, add structure to it, and then try to implement it. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing the Soho House team for a very, very long time, just as an existing member before, and um, and being like a fan of theirs, uh, kind of like over the last like 12 years or so, um, I wanted to go to the best of the best. And I think that when you think about fitness, when you think about health and wellness, it's a hospitality element. And uh, I, I think that looking at implementing in one or two or 26 or 50 stores um, in a certain demographic area versus you know 26 and growing global locations, um, the difference there was that if, if you have something that you think can benefit the masses and also be a, a, a decent business idea, what better place to sort of expand it? And I think that um, coming back to your question in terms of staging and getting the things right, what that allows you to do is really think about the things that you haven't thought about, right? So like if we take something like the smoothies, which, you know, <laughs> everyone knows I love making smoothies. I've been doing it now for in the last like decade or so for my own brand, other people's brands, uh, things like that. I think that you know, Soul House approach was very interesting. You know, we spent almost four months getting it right. What's the margin on these smoothies? Not because we're trying to price gouge people, but because you're not in business for a charity. It's not a charity organization. And then if you launch something and it's great in the beginning and then you realize you can't make money at it or it doesn't make economical sense and you go and change it, you kind of get a lot of consumer dissatisfaction. And so that, that might not be just on that one product, that might be on your brand in general. So there's a lot of risk there. Um, and then on top of it, just because something's healthy and health and wellness is quote unquote cool and you want to implement something like that, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to be open to it and that, uh, it, it, that from a organizational structural perspective, everything's there to, to, to sort of handle that. So that could be something as simple as like freezers, um, not being in the right place at the right time, the electricity not being there, something being too noisy, something needing other space for things that are higher margin, more volume, like alcohol drinks and, and, and Sunday and Saturday brunches and things like that. Um, and then there's a staff training element, you know, in terms of like how to get something out so that that it could be served all the time and, and actually um, have the same consistency every time. So so that process, you know, took us, you know, almost, now it's four months now, I just launched it. Um, what we've done is come up with a way of uh, pre-portioning things um, it, uh, that's environmentally friendly. So we're not like using plastic and like throwing it out and like not um, not thinking about like what that's doing in terms of this, the, the shake and the costs and things like that. Um, making sure that people with nut allergies can still have the nut-free versions of it, um, that when they're blended, they're not used mm -hmm. in the same beakers, um, and uh, making sure that even the protein and things like that need to be measured or measured as part of them. And then people who want to have, you know, whey protein, Noah Neiman's a good example, a good friend of mine, Rumble founding trainer, who's, you know, eight scoops extra of protein. Um, uh, at that point, when we really thought about it, it's like you still have a vegan element and it's giving you that sort of like standard 15 to 20 grams of protein, the whey element should be an additive. And then that way you could control sort of people having to make their own sort of shake up. And now we're going into a, a phase where we can accommodate those. Today, uh, I was actually there and there was a woman, one of her kids wanted a strawberry milkshake. And so we gave her our strawberry banana shake that had vegan protein in it. Uh, the child had no nut allergies. She literally was asking for more. Her mom's like, I never, never <laughs> seen her do this. 
Um, so you think about you know what I just said there. You're talking about you know servicing our general customer, um, coming up with a service model that works, um, and then uh, after that coming up with a um, a way to improve it based on what we've seen there, and then um, afterwards by accident kind of finding out that it can reach a whole new demographic, which are kids, um, and then what that kind of has from a play for flavor profile perspective. Now, if we had done it sort of shotgun method and kind of said, oh yeah, let's want smoothies, like have a little smoothie bar and like typical way, you know, people are making it. There's no way that we would have been able to scale it and then mm -hmm. implement these changes as time goes on. Now those changes, while they would have been, you know, seem like astronomical differences from like when someone started up saying like, hey, I want to have like a cool like smoothie to have with breakfast, lunch and dinner, you know, at the uh, at, a, at a place that typically doesn't serve um, healthy stuff all all the time around other than bottled juices and things like that um, That would have seemed like impossible, right? Like mm -hmm. what team do we have to implement it here? It's the same team that's implementing because we're just bolting on Additional solutions because the foundation has been well so well thought through um, I think that you know coming back to your question about like staging and like design philosophy and design ethos That's what Soho House does really really well um, if you go into a house here, you go into a house in Los Angeles, you go into a house in London, you go into a house in Barcelona, you're getting a vibe, yet they're different, mm -hmm. um, uh, touching the um, different localities in every single different area. And I think that that's really the special sauce, you know, of an organization like that and a uh, founder owner like Nick Jones and like how he built a home, essentially, in every one of these different markets that he's entered. Um, because they all sort of like tie into that same sort of design ethos. So that's why, you know, when it came up with a fitness concept, I think that if I would have done it five years ago, no way I would have thought it through like this. I think the more and more time I spent as a customer of Soho House and now being formally involved, um, you know, it's, it's beyond best in class in terms of their approach to uh, design and implementation of these things. So you're a, um, in addition to Soho House, you're also an advisor for Rumble Boxing. Yeah. When you're doing something like putting together a fitness concept for Soho House, something that's obviously going to be visible on a global scale, how are you sort of deciding what goes into that? So like you guys had the skill mill from Techno Gym, you mentioned a kinesis machine that you have in there. Um, and I think the session I did with you guys, there was a third station, which was like ab work on the floor. Yeah, it was a great workout. Um, I'm excited to see you guys roll it out. How do you sort of gauge like what people want, what people are ready, what people can handle? Um, when you're putting together a concept like that? Um, I, I think that uh, when I, when it, 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 you said a couple things there and I'll, and I'll address them. I think that the general population doesn't really know what they want. I think that me being included, right? Like people aren't going to group fitness because they know exactly what they want to do. Because if they did, they'd be in their home gym working out, right? And I think that what people want is a result right they want a result and i think that that results very unmeasurable right like you're not going to know what the ridge in your side ab angle is going to be at the end of a workout yet you're looking for that mm -hmm. in some way shape or form in a photo or or feeling or something like that i think in general when we when we when i approach what we're trying to do i think i think what my um my first priority is is to um really find something that that speaks to um the 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 general public in terms of what they're trying to accomplish and i think when when you look at what people are trying to accomplish they're trying to feel better about themselves and something that they can go to on a 
daily basis, a weekly basis, monthly basis, and, and make some sort of progressive sort of improvement there. Um, so I think when we were evaluating the equipment, um, Technogym has always been something that had caught my eye in terms of like just design. Mm -hmm. um, and then recently I saw a bunch of articles in terms of uh, their involvement with the Olympics and Olympic athletes and facilities. And I'm like, why don't more people know about this brand? Mm -hmm. And as I started to really look into it, I started to notice it at places like Equinox and Lifetime Yeah, they're huge in, in Europe. Right. Um, but yeah, they, they outfit the entire Olympic village with uh, fitness with equipment. 100%. And I think as I started to delve in deeper and started to test equipment, like you saw the equipment that we're testing and, um, and order some for some of the, the existing and, and newly developing Sohouse properties, I started to really think about it in terms of, you know, what people have um, typically done in terms of planning out these facilities. And I think what they actually end up doing is that you're getting people that are probably uh, 10, 15 years senior to the everyday trainer now, right? So someone with more seniority that's planning out mm -hmm. the next 10 locations for a fitness concept. And I think that that's where the disconnect was. So I immediately went to the, what I, what I call um, the, uh, the young sort of accomplished, hungry uh, fitness, uh, uh, if you want to call them elite, I, I think that's the right way to look at them. Um, Chris Howell, we mentioned before, you know, playing D1 lacrosse, captain uh, has always been in tune with fitness and had a network of people that uh, were in tune with fitness in addition to my network of Joe Ferraro, my own girlfriend Ashley Wilking at mm -hmm. Rumble, some of the top trainers in the city, um, uh, Callie Gluckson, formerly with Tone House, um, you know, a lot of the other people there that I don't want to name drop and things like that, but like, I think that um, Pat Frost, Barry's Bootcamp, uh, Sarah Ote, Barry's Bootcamp, just like mm -hmm. give you an idea of like the different concepts that are, that were, that were the people that were coming from the different concepts to use it. I was interested in their opinion of the equipment. Um, some had a progressive re reaction like myself, which was, hey, it looks cool, but what can it do? Mm -hmm. Other people were like, wow, I've used it somewhere and I can't wait to use it more and get into it. Um, so again, coming back to your question to answer it, what I wanted to do is come up with something that people could improve on progressively, hence the, 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 the skill run and the, um, non-motorized treadmill, um, and then a, a weight system that was not so much about 50 pounds, 60 pounds, 70 pounds, but numbers that people could know, Hey, I was a seven last week. I'm an mm -hmm. eight this week. It's really based on what you can do comfortably versus what you're comparing to other people. Um, so bringing that forward to what discourages people from going to places like you go to a boot camp class, everyone's at 10 miles an hour, you're at eight miles an hour or five miles an hour. It doesn't make you really want to come back. People could say, you know, people should will themselves to come back. But is that number really right? You know, it's not right for everyone. People have different strides. Uh, people have different stamina. People have a different relationship with fitness. I think that it's really important to me to find something that was accessible by everyone and something that they could do side by side with someone and still have some sort of relationship with that person next to them that had nothing to do with the number. And when I thought about fitness and music and things like that, just from guitar days, it's like all about the beats, right? Like the, 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 like the iambic pentameter, like in Shakespearean language of like, you know, how are you timing what you're saying and how you're communicating and the thud on a treadmill um, that you're powering yourself is pretty much the same, right? Depending on your stride, or, you know, it doesn't really come into effect unless, you know, someone's doing something crazy on there. 
And so that's what we wanted to kind of come back to, that we said that if people were given the chance that they had to you know, come out, they had to book something, they had to do something, and they're here, that's like already saying that they wanna be here, right? So the next step is, is like, are they gonna function at a similar type of um, uh, movement sort of stride? And then once that happened, everything sort of came in together. And we started to see that people of all different types, like as you know, we have three people trying it out at a time. And we've been very, very meticulous about finding like three of the same type of people mm-hmm. and then three exactly different, two of the same, one of the different, and, and kind of putting people through it and seeing what the reaction is um, when we were uh, coming together with it. So I think that, you know, when I'm thinking about what I like doing, you, you know, you mentioned Rumble. I love Rumble. I love boxing. I love like these. Um, the different levels of trainers they have, like people with like no boxing experience that they're giving boxing experience to, and then now they're teaching a class and making boxing more accessible to people. Um, but also that that hit element that um, people are able to do on the floor sequence, I think it's great. Um, I think if I were given a chance to pick what I want to do in terms of like a weekly basis, mm-hmm. like what am I doing the most often? Yeah, sure, I'm going to Rumble a lot. Love supporting my girlfriend. Love supporting the brand. It's my favorite group fitness brand that's out there. Um, one of my favorite group fitness brands that's out there, but I love Barry's Bootcamp. You know, I love the idea of weights in a treadmill. Um, I love the idea of like, like not having additional equipment, like not having to put on like different shoes or like put on different gloves. Uh, sometimes you're just in that mode where you just want to show up and go, right? Um, and I think that when I'm thinking about what I like to do, uh, it it's, doesn't really have a lot to do with like music and drops and things like that. I think that I like going to those places for that element. But mm-hmm. I, when I think of like 45 minute, 50 minute workout, I think about working out. And I think that there's nothing um, that's there that can sort of mask the fact that you're there to work out. Um, and that's why the, the abandonment of walls and like closed off spaces was really attractive to me. How can you pick equipment that can function in it, the way that it's spatially related to everything, and just by design, how does that work by itself when there's not an instructor there? I think that's that's so cool because you're sort of <clears throat> you're actively hanging out with people who are literally you know the founders of like the biggest sort of group fitness trends in New York City, where arguably the biggest sort of group fitness trends begin, right? Um, you know, with LA a little bit, but you can sort of you're you're immersing yourself in this environment of like fitness entrepreneurs where they're just sort of there's just creativity and ideas swirling around and when you when you get to create something like your own you know like a concept for Soho House you can sort of pick and choose the best aspects of like what you're seeing and like what you're learning in the market so that's really cool I thought it was interesting earlier you were naming some trainers and you said I don't want to like name drop um you know it's funny and we were chatting about this earlier how definitely on the east and west coast um we've we've seen trainers become certain trainers become I'd say almost celebrities, but in some cases, full-on celebrities. Uh, you know, there's shows on TV now, reality shows about like fitness studios. Uh, we've got trainers with tens or hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers, millions in some cases. For someone who is, let's say, like it could be a trainer, um, maybe someone who's less social media savvy, but maybe still really talented, or even just an entrepreneur or someone starting a business, and they don't have that sort of, you know, these days you hear someone's name and you want to look them up most people, millennials especially, will go to Instagram first, before LinkedIn, before anywhere. As someone who's created a bunch of businesses, is there what advice would you give to someone to become more visible, whether it is a trainer who wants to get more into the fitness scene or someone launching a brand that just wants to 
get more eyeballs on it? Um, I think I think it's just one thing. Just be authentic. You know, I think I think that just if you're if you're you're never sure there could be shortcuts. Like if you just make up a persona and you like go after it and things like that. I think that. Um, but the 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 ability and the realistic, um, it, just being realistic. I don't think it, you can you can continue that type of behavior for very very long. And I think if you look around and you see like a lot of these uh, Instagram accounts with like hundreds of thousands of followers and like zero transactional ability. Um, I think that it doesn't really make all that much sense. I think that it might make someone feel good about themselves and that's great. That's what Instagram might be for. You know, I think that when I look at the trainer community, um, myself as a consumer, I look at the trainer's habits and what they're doing and say like, okay, well that might be something that, that, that they incorporate in their, into mm -hmm. their workout. Um, I think if I use people that are close to me, that I, I've seen their sort of ascension into that in that world. Um, Ashley Wilking, you know, I think that my own girlfriend uh, started out uh, working in corporate for a fitness company and and um, kind of moonlighting on the side as a trainer, um, getting some attention from publications and things like that. Um, and really, when she took off was when she put all that aside, right, and said, "I'm going to make fitness my priority." Um, I'm going to show people what I do in my life and fitness, um, and um, and I'm going to tell the most accurate story of my life as as I can, right? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, from then her engagement, without using any like tricks or tools that other people use, like, you know, has become you know phenomenal in terms of like how people follow her story, how people look to her page to find out what. She, if they want to go to her class or if they don't want to go to her class, some of the other trainers that she, she supports and places that she goes to. She's a huge fan of Steven Check at S10 mm -hmm. um, that sees him like twice a week, sometimes more. Um, you know, those are some of the personal things that she does. Uh, Karen at SoulCycle, she goes to her all the time. I think people know that she does that also. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that, uh, that uh, transformation for someone, right? Like she was never a big partier but then you know, gave up alcohol almost completely. It has like an occasional glass of wine here and there. You never see it advertised. When people are looking to book a class and they want to get fit, the last thing they want to see is a trainer sort of burning the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking against any of those people. I'm just saying that in general, if you look at a lifestyle of health and wellness you're trying to promote, showing yourself out at the club at like 3 o'clock in the morning, like you know, popping bottles, if they're not juice, I don't think people really, you know, want want to see that when they're when they're uh, when they're looking to, to a health focused brand. So I think if if people are trying to bust into the industry and kind of like get not only popularity, just think about it: is your is your concept going to work? Is 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 you, you know, as an individual going to work? There's no better test than social media. You know, staying quiet and kind of to yourself. If you want to be that type of person, that's great. I just think that you're not using a tool that can get people sort of to come see you, you know, wherever you might be. So whether that's as a private trainer, you know, or if that's as a group fitness, you know, sort of instructor, I think what group fitness has, has done is allowed people that um, haven't followed the traditional ways of being an athlete um, and going in and sort of like playing in a professional sport um, and, and getting that type of sort of uh, engagement from people to be able to go and say like, hey, you know what? I'm out here, I got 60 people in the class. 
these 60 people are following a workout. Now that workout's most likely one that I do myself, and this is the reason why I look the way that I do, and I feel the way that I do. And if you like that end result, and you wanna get there, I'm gonna get you there if you come in here as many times as you can. And so I think that the people who have been able to successfully tell that story, like the Ashley Wilkins of the world, um, like the Rebecca Kennedys of the world, um, like the Noah Neemans of the world, uh, have become hugely popular for all the right reasons. If you go to those instructors and you listen to what they say to do, whether it's in your personal life or in that classroom, you are gonna get better. And I think that that's what people should look for in social media versus you know, other things. In terms of your own uh, fitness regimen, you mentioned a moment ago, uh, you were talking about Brian Mazza, sort of a mutual friend of ours, how uh, you said you know, guys like Brian will go like 150 or 200% I think he's been to over 850 turnhouse classes yeah. at this point. Um, whereas you said you're more like a 75%. Uh, I thought that was interesting. You mentioned that when we were on a panel recently uh, about how it's less about going sort of balls to the wall every time and more about just sweating every day and doing something. What's, can you tell me more about that philosophy, that 75%? Sure, sure. I mean, look, Brian Mazza is he's a great example. He's an athlete. I, in, in other worlds, if he, he, he's someone that could do a host of different things, whether he wants to be a professional athlete, amazing restaurateur, has a great eye for style, a lot of different things. You know, I think that when when I was growing up, I was never like the top athlete. I always made the team, but I was always somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, and that may or may not have been because I didn't push myself or I was like a degenerate, like smoking cigarettes and like drinking booze and other things and stuff like that. Um, so. When I, when I really you know, sort of surrendered to the fitness lifestyle, it was after a time of doing every other bad thing that I could think of and not feeling good about myself and being bored you know, 110% of the time. You know? So we throw out percentages like 75%, 80%, and then a lot of people call me like on BS because they're like, dude, you're going pretty hard at these places. But I know my own body, like when it's gonna shut down and stuff like that. And I'm not necessarily always going so hard. You mm -hmm. know? But, so I think that what what I've seen, you know, in myself is that like, how do you get someone or yourself like not to give up on it, right? How do you not give up on the lifestyle that is clean living, getting up early every single day, going every single day and feeling good about it every single day. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, a lot of the hormones and, and things like that that you get from a good workout. Um, and when you're injured, you just don't get them. Mm -hmm. And I trust me, I've been injured many, many times, especially like the the, the regular male issues of getting injured, right? Like lower back, shoulders, like that. Knees, yeah. Shoulder, yeah, bicep, things like that. And and um, and I think every time I've done that, it's been when I've like known I'm about to push myself, and I'm not like mentally ready, like or physically ready. Go <laughs> for it anyway. Boom, that's when it happens, and I'm out for like three or four days. You know, now I've kind of progressed, you know, into this lifestyle of like almost like four years or so where like I've been like slowly getting more and more and more regimented in mm -hmm. my life. And I think, you know, to like people even around me, like my brother, my parents, actually, you know, it's become like sort of like a reclusive kind of life. Like when I'm not out, you know, doing things I'm supposed to be doing for work or professionally, I'm kind of like at home, kind of shut down, you know, always eating at home, trying to come mm -hmm. up with like recipes that probably don't even taste all that good. <laughs> Um, and I think that that uh, it would take it, I, I could never see myself going back to any other type of life. Um, so I think that that uh, knocking me out of that lifestyle mm -hmm. is probably very unlikely. I think for a lot of other people, it isn't. I think especially for the younger generation, um, some type of injury happens 
they're off the boat for a little bit, off the wagon for a little bit, uh, feeling bad about themselves, go back to bad habits, and then now you're back into how do I get back to that? Right, right? and I think you and, you and I are fortunate in that we work in health and wellness industries. Uh, so you know, you're, you're immersed in this content. So it becomes quite difficult to fall off the wagon, well, more difficult than for the average person because you're surrounded by this stuff and you have to uh, sort of embody it to an extent. When you do fall off the wagon, whether it's, you know, missing, you know, a couple of workouts or just diet wise, like just everything goes to hell. How do you sort of bring yourself back into the swing of things? How do you get back on there? Because it's so easy once you miss that first workout to then miss the second one, that third one. Before you know it, you haven't been to the gym in a month. Yeah, I, I, I'd be, you know, I'd be lying to you if I told you over the last three years, I've never skipped like more than one or two days, like being like injured even uh, because I'll find something to do. Um, that that requires some activity and that's kind of my whole like 75% rule, you mm -hmm. know And that that kind of gives you a little bit more of a fighting chance of not, you know, having to having to deal with that and go through that um, So I think that but in general, I think it happens to everyone I think that even for myself like not going to a couple berries like, mm -hmm. you know Over a course of two weeks cause I'm doing other things and then going back in there and not hitting like certain numbers or like feeling it is comfortable with or being like more sore afterwards. I think what I usually do is I always think back to like when I wasn't like this, you know, when I was like going out on Friday night, like drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels, doing some other stuff, like waking up at like, you know, 6.30 in the morning just so I could tell people that I was the one who would wake up and go work out, mm -hmm. but still being dehydrated, deoxygenated, having a bad workout, but going through the motions and yep. repeating that cycle. And how like shitty and like empty I felt and like like all the poor decisions I made, whether it was like a bad business decisions, picking the wrong partners, having like the worst relationships, like like I'm talking like negative, bad like, you know, just like on the scale of like one to ten, I was at negative hundred. And then how what the good things like the fitness lifestyle have kind of brought into my life. I would have never met a girl like Ashley like doing what I was doing before, you know? And so I I hold that as like, wow, you know, this is fitness. This is what got me, this is what fitness got me. I feel like when I look back at pictures, I have a joke with my parents, I'm like, take those old pictures down. Cause that's not me and I don't want people to see that anymore, yeah. you know, like puffy ass, like, you know, <laughs> like uh uh, uh, inebriated face and all this kind of stuff like that and and um, and so all kidding aside like I look at myself now I look at myself 10 years ago I'm like wow man this guy is the guy that I wanted to be, be my whole life why couldn't I have been this guy right so we don't have to go in this whole sob story otherwise I have to bring out the guitar and start singing some <laughs> alternative rock no no but, shit, but, but you bring like, up a great point like you're, you're talking about um, you know it's about you but it's also about you mentioned relationships right and like bad relationships like sometimes it's, it's even more difficult to make a change in your life because you've got people in your life who are sort of anchoring you to a certain lifestyle, whether it's, you know, the common interest could be just like a thing you do together, right? Like a lot of people, when they stop drinking, they're like, they stop hanging out with certain people because they realize they actually had nothing in common. It was just the act of drinking and going out. Um, can you, if you can remember like back to a time when you were in one of those, <laughs> let's call them like unfortunate relationships, um, how did you sort of pull yourself out and, and you know, claw closer to where you are now in this like sort of healthier 
lifestyle because it can be difficult for some people to sort of dig themselves out of that i think i think um i think i found solace in like being on my own so like i think as the as the periods of badness became like you know less and less it would always be like hey i'm like not in the right circle of friends like they're you know we, we don't have common interests like i shouldn't be the only one like let's go to the gym let's do this let's do that or i shouldn't be in a relationship where i'm begging the person to like go on a run mm-hmm. you know so those moments that i felt when i was on my own that gave me solace I was like what am I doing associating with other people when I'm doing this on my own what's so bad about being alone right and I think that when I became comfortable with being alone I spent almost like a year alone like not like really dating until Ashley and I started dating and that was when I really knew I was like look like I won't sacrifice this life for anything again Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people say that that about like alcohol and drug abuse and like you know working out and things like that but I think like those are like big things that like people can't really relate to all the time if you're someone who has a problem with like partying and things like that and someone's like just don't do it go to the gym not gonna make any type of effect there I think it's the little things that mean a lot to you that 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 you have to keep and then keep those always so that you can identify with them and and they're they're like the easy things right telling someone that they need to go an hour a day to the gym every single day isn't an easy thing to do so if you tell someone to do that you're kind of telling them to climb up a mountain to do something that might not come second nature to them but i had a thing where like i always want like sonos like i like music like ambient music around i want to wake up i want to listen to the killers or like the strokes or like interpol and like you know, people have opinions about that. And what I told myself, I said, you know, man, fuck it. Like, I'm never gonna live without that ever again in my life. And as you can see, there's Sonos and music crap all around here. Mm -hmm. So that when my alarm goes off in the morning, it's on there and I listen to it 24 seven, right? Like, um, some people might be like, you're weird, dude. Like, why do you listen to that stuff? Or like, you know, Eugene Rem from Rumble will be like, you have the worst taste possible in music. You can't get worse (laughs) than that. That's really not the point. The point is that like I wanted something creative around me because that was that void that I was trying to fill with other things. So it's very important for me to have that, right? So I think the music that you just mentioned is probably one answer to this question. Like once you get in that groove of living sort of healthy lifestyle, you're training, you're eating right, things are dialed in, you're in a healthy relationship. Um, you know, you're still, the world doesn't sort of wait for you. You've still got negative things coming at you throughout the day. There's stress, there's like issues. How do you, um, sort of protect this like environment like how do you um shield yourself from getting sliding back to like a negative place like whether it's saying no to certain types of meetings or managing your time a certain way like how do you protect what you've sort of built over here i think i think what you have to do is you have to you have to think that you're not going to win everything right and i think that totally um and i think that every time every time you're not winning at something it's not a it might be you gave it your all and some exogenous factor happened but what was that factor and then take that factor in and then the next time you evaluate an opportunity see if that factor is there and Mm -hmm. be very very selfish about evaluating it that way so you know i would be i would be you know i would say that if i were to look at um my successes and failures on a business standpoint you know, I'm probably at net zero right now, you know, in terms of uh, if I were to look at what I've done in the past, what I'm doing now, and then what's happened like sort of in between. But if I look at the knowledge base, you know, I would say that it's like, I, I would never even imagine to know as much as I know now about business, about people, about management, about style, about architecture, about fitness, all <laughs> these different areas, um, if I didn't go through all of those sort of processes. And I think that 
you know, we all have it. It's in human nature. And like, you know, people talk about all these meditative ways. You know, we had a panel about it before about what they want. You know, what does all this kind of have to lead to? Like the apartment that you want, the, mm-hmm. the girlfriend that you want, the wife that you want, the house that you want, all these things. Like, I think those things don't really mean all that much because deep down inside, if those were all the things that people wanted, um, you know, I don't think you'd ever see any type of innovation because they would just keep getting the things that they wanted over time. Innovation really comes from some sort of discontent, you know, with society in general or, or what you see going on there. Disruptive technologies come about because there's something that's not there. And I think that if we really think about it from a needs basis, you really have to simplify what's going on. And, and once you're simplified, simplify it even more. You know, you look at look at our industry, like what we're wearing. You just got those shoes. I could tell because they're white. There's not a stain on them, you know? And why do you keep going out getting the new shoes every single time they come out? I'm the same. I have these white shoes over here. Like, why are we doing these things over and over and over again when we know that the shoe lasts for eight or 10 months and we're just not content with it? And I think that um, what I've tried to do is really simplify it, right? Like, why do I like this cut shirt that just came out from Nike? Why don't I go buy six of them right now? So I, my, in my mind, I'm like, so I don't have to wash it because my time's valuable, so I don't wash it. Dude, you should be washing your clothes. They come back sweaty. Have like two of them. Next season, something will come out. This one will wear out. And mm-hmm. you go around it that way. So, you know, you asked me like, how do I sort of like keep it from not, you know, staying on that same path? I think that I've been really, really clear about, you know, where I want to sort of end up in terms of what makes me happy, you know? And I think that for me, it's like, you get a girl that's a ride or die girl, you got like a cute little dog, you got a roof over your head and a cool family relationship with your family and the chick's family and you're set, bro. Like, and so anything else is gravy. And if you can get into that mode where what today is really making you happy, right? Like, let me go reverse it now to before I met Ash or where before I started dating Ash and I was in that mode where I was kind of really happy with myself at that point I was happy riding my Harley to Thanksgiving by myself riding back over here watching Netflix until I fell asleep and then going to what was popular for me then uh, SLT Mm -hmm. you know like the next morning right so like so at that point I was very very content with that if nothing else progressed now when I look back I'm like shit man got the the all-american girl next door girl my dreams I always thought about and like we have this great life together I wouldn't have thought about it back then it came to me afterwards do you see where I'm going with yeah that? and some of its visualization I remember when we were on that panel that you just referenced you, you there was one part where you mentioned how you always had this image in your head I think you said you grew up in like you know a railroad town um, and you had this image of like working in like the auto body repair shop and nothing's happening so you're just like tuning up your bike um, how much of that do you still do these days? Like, is there, do you still sort of hold that image in your head of like that ideal lifestyle and things that you do in your day to day? Is that sort of building to that idea that you have? Yeah. You know, I think, we, you know, we have a, we have a property in, in South Jersey, in my hometown in Morristown. Um, Ash and I had some ideas of like fixing it up and, and, you know, we joined a gym down there so we could spend more time down there. There's a barn, there's a Harley <laughs> in there. There's an old Jag in there. Um, none of it's running right now currently so i think that you know aspirationally there was like there's a we feel great when we're down there um getting to connect with my parents being like sort of outside of like the daily hustle and bustle that you see in like a like a big city Mm -hmm. um but i think at the same time you got to balance that with like your goals and like what you're doing you know like on a on a daily basis with like i don't even feel like work is work today i was like technically at work trying out smoothies with five of the top runnable trainers um, and uh, uh, one ex Tonehouse trainer and, and Chris Howell, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so how 
in a million years could I ever be like, work was hard today, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, balancing those two things out um, yeah, means, means a lot when you're, when you're trying to think about, you know, what those aspirational qualities are about what you want to do. Um, and so, you know, this week I saw the weather forecast supposed to be like 70 degrees on Tuesday and Wednesday, like up there. So like, why not go down to the Morristown house and like do some fun stuff down there? Mm -hmm. Let's see if it happens. You know, if it doesn't, I, I don't think we're going to like kick ourselves about it. But I think every week we sort of like plan those kinds of things out. I, I at least do, you know, in terms of like what you're going to do for the week that like brings you closer to that sort of like Zen kind of feeling. If you can hit it a couple times, all good, you know? Yeah. Just like doing stuff that's in line with that sort of vision that you have. Um, and you've, you mentioned sort of, uh, the little things are important when it comes to like routine and sort of staying in your groove. Do you have any type of, is there any interesting aspect to like your morning routine? Do you have a morning routine or like a powering down routine at night? Like, do you have any sort of structure to the way you start your day to sort of set yourself up? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, I'm an early riser. So I think to people that have like always known me, whether it's my family or Ash, like it's like, I'm, you know, I'm up pretty early and I think that, um, the first thing I always do is I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll make some sort of like matcha or like coffee drink, mm -hmm. um, and kind of like start off my day like just as like a function of of, of habit, um, and um, and I think that to me it's very soothing to do that because uh, you're like kind of making something you're already experimenting. What's you know, your your um like superhuman smoothie recipe like what would you make if you wanted to just fire in all cylinders for the next like 12 hours so it's very easy so i always do like a tablespoon versus a teaspoon of matcha um house of matcha steven checks brand uh, it, <laughs> i'm not trying to plug it i just like love it uh it's one of the only matchas that's out there that doesn't have like a gamey sort of aftertaste to it he's like a very meticulous about like selecting it um and i add blueberry broccoli banana uh granola almond milk coconut water um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I can't really say I'm loyal to one type of protein. Mm -hmm. I love the chocolate Performix way, um, is, is a good, fr a, 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 a tried and true, like go to of mine. I also like Josh Takeman's eBoost, the ch chocolate prime protein that he has. Now I've been very big on cachava. We're using that. It's a tribal vegan protein that has the same sort of, um, nutritional value in terms of calorie to protein content. Um, as whey protein. Um, so we've been using that one a lot. Um, so believe it or not, most of mine have all three of them in there. <laughs> so nice. um, I, I'll do that. And then what that allows me to do is like, if you think about it, like eating right and healthy is all about balancing like like energy content to, uh, to calories, right? So like, how are you going to get the most amount of energy from the least amount of calories? Like, mm -hmm. I think that that's what people have in their heads. But if you're burning a lot of calories, you can't go around thinking to yourself that you're gonna, you know, create something, um, where you're, you're able to expend a bunch of energy and do things at a high level and not, and not, uh, eat a lot doing that. So right. I think that for me to get me going, having that little bit of like matcha, get me going and then having something in my stomach so that I could get through a bunch of stuff, like I'm good, you know? So I've been like the king of like having like sort of like a liquid diet until the evenings. It's like very, very easy for me to do. Right. As long as I have like protein, I don't even need a blender. So like, you know, just mixing it like with like water, coconut water, almond milk, dairy milk now, you know, I've been, you know, going back to dairy a little bit. Oh, really? So I, How, why, why is that? I mean, you know, to be honest with you, there was like, I just think that like, I, I've never been the type that's like, oh, like, 
people are saying dairy free is the way to go mm-hmm. and so there's no benefit of it you know a couple times last year i got sick ash and i both got like a little bit of like the flu and um and we had to have probiotics so we went on like fi a the like mm-hmm. the, the yogurts and things like that and i'll tell you i felt great i felt energized like you don't feel as like tight you know what i mean but but for, taking aside the aesthetics i think that just from a general feeling from the probiotic just being injected in there i think mm-hmm. it was like not bad to have so ever since then you know like i've like lessened the constraints on like cheese and and dairy products and like kind of gone down that path a little bit i don't think we've even begun to see the beginning of probiotics like i think that's still such a huge tidal wave of a nutrition trend coming down the pipeline yeah uh, i think we still got a lot i mean just research that we've seen just from at uh you know at working at men's health and men's fitness before that like gut health is unbelievable like the way that your whole microbiome like influences your brain and your mood uh you know and of course like performance levels and all that uh is pretty incredible um so you've got your your morning routine and you said you can do your work for the most part you can do your work uh like remotely or from home or you're sort of out and about where do you find you do your your best thinking like where when do your best ideas come to you well actually i used to be out and about and like doing that kind of thing i, I mean I, to be honest with you my monday through you know friday i'm in an office like like most people that are in an office so has a pretty structured organization when it comes to that um and when i i be honest with you i like i do the most amount of productive thinking in in uh, in that office with like like-minded thinkers you know what I mean so I think that I, I think a lot of people get creative like doing stuff on their own sitting mm-hmm. on a park bench somewhere or like on some 15 mile run that's just not me it's like when when I have to sit down I get task oriented um, that's when uh, the process flows the best like from idea origination to adding structure to it and then thinking how to implement it if I can't get through those three phases then it's not you know, it's just a, another dream. It's a hobby. Mm-hmm. And so I think that being in that structured environment allows me to like, like come up with, assess the viability of, of a lot of different initiatives very quickly um, versus kind of like lackadaisically thinking about them. So talking about like work environments, structured work environments, um, you know, you're, you're covered in tattoos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, do you, I feel like we're in this new sort of era where, you know, startups are considered really cool, um, business in general, just for, um, you know, people on the younger side, but this idea of like starting your own thing in this marketplace where it's, you know, fitness is cool, wellness is cool, starting your own company is cool. You still have a lot of that old way of thinking of, you'll, and you hear people say it all the time, like, ah, do you know, I'm not going to get a tattoo because like job interviews and, and stuff like that. Um, that's obviously something that you... <laughs> haven't had to really give a shit about because you work in a super cool industry. Um, have you ever come up against anything like that where you were like, you want to be yourself? Like, you know, you got a room in your apartment just dedicated to guitars. You ride a Harley. You've got like sick tattoos. Have you ever had a moment in your career or moments where you were like, you're, I'm about to go into a meeting or a presentation or something like, should I roll my sleeves down? Like, is this going to affect anything? Um, I'm interested. I mean, Dean, come on. 20 years ago, I was 21, right? So I came out of college. At that point, almost covered head-to-toe tattoos and worked in management consulting for 13 years for Navigant. And so very, like, I would say that, like, <laughs> like the, the opposite maybe of what I'm doing right now. Um, and uh, I would be the guy who was wearing, like, full-on performance you know, like full sleeve 
um, shirts in 90 degree weather at the company outing in Florida, um, you know, and people are asking me what's going on. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I'm feeling cold, you know? So I think that, that, that debt, and, but now you're talking about pre 2000, right? Um, so I think that, you know, fast forwarding it now, look, I don't play in an alternative rock band. You know, I'm like working in health and wellness. The tattoos are like cool. But if I were to go back and, and, and rethink it and rethink the progression of my life and like the rebelliousness, I kind of like had that bug when I was younger. Would I do it? I don't know. You know, I think that to me, it's like artwork. I have stuff that I like I did with like friends, you know, like drew stuff that like never came out to fruition the way that you like had envisioned it and things like that. Um, so I think you end up like wearing those things, but also remembering those times in your life and stuff like that. Um, I think tattoos nowadays are very, very commonplace. You know, I think that people have kind of like, you know, come full circle. Like if you watch these old episodes of like Vikings and things like that, you'll see they're all covered, yeah. you know, in tattoos and things like that. It's not like it's like a new thing. It's all cyclical. You so, know? so if you take like um, you you mentioned when you were in a much more corporate environment as like a marketing consultant, um, sort of wearing long sleeves to corporate getaways versus now where it's like you're sitting here literally wearing short sleeve and it's like, who gives a fuck? How did you sort of get over that where you were just like, do you know what, whatever, this is me. Like, this is this is who I am. I'm not going to wear a long sleeve t-shirt on a hot day. You know, it's unfortunate. Like, as I be, I mean, I wish I had a better answer, but as I became more successful, right? In management consulting, it was like how many jobs you sold, how many how many more clients you got, you know, has you built your book of business. And I think that, you know, as I felt more comfortable in that role, I got into the mode of like, not going to wear a tie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wear like collared shirts with the button, two buttons down, have like the chest tats coming out, you know, kind of, you know, you get roll up the sleeves now, you know, things like that. I think that that's really what got me into that phase. And then as I moved more into, you know, I think that an atypical sort of work environment it was like, you know, no one at that point, like you said, like the startup environment was very um, uh, welcoming towards like, you know, people that were dressed and acted a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that now even still the the investment money and the dollars behind that, that fuels sort of that industry, um, you know, are very tolerant of that type of, you know, thinking and, and maybe have even surrender to having people working there that are of that same sort of um, composition. So, you know, I, I, I think like, you know, if, you, if my advice to people is like after the age of, you know, 35, 40, if you haven't gotten them yet, don't get them. But if you really want them, <laughs> get them. So I'm really telling people to do whatever the hell they want. I oh, guess. Man, my, <laughs> my mom still keeps getting them. <laughs> I think I think I just overtook her. But uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting when you're growing up. You can't really have a parent telling you not to get tattoos when they have seven. <laughs> I hope that's not the case for me, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, and so you just mentioned meeting people. Something I'm interested in is what, what do you find are the best sort of networking opportunities for you? Like when do you, what do you feel, you, what gives you the most bang for your buck in terms of meeting new people in your own industry and in other industries? Because a lot of what you do, um, you know, relies on the success of like partnerships and uh, working with other people, other organizations and brands. I think um, what what I what I've gotten the most success out of is is um, you know we called it like sweat working like kind of going to meet people at like fitness related events if you want to be in fitness or health and wellness or something focused on that industry and I think that anytime I've veered away from that I've like kind of like been dealt a sort of like lesson that like it was a mistake to like sort of get involved in that element because there was no authenticity there mm-hmm. and I think that. 
Um, my advice to people would be like, if you want to get involved in the industry, immerse yourself in the industry. You'll have a ton of jokers that come to you, talk to you about wanting to do fitness brands. And, and that's like, any industry, right? That applies yeah, to really any. Yeah. Like, look, if you want to have a meeting, like someone says like, Hey man, I have a new camera company takes great cameras. What sets it apart? Well, it takes great, like, like photos at a high speed. Well, you know, let's try to do that at a, at a studio, right? Like anything that you, you take out of the bar and into the studio is probably going to get you a more real assessment of what that opportunity is or what that relationship can be. So for you, it's like, if you're working in health and wellness, you want to be out at like group workouts and like meeting people that way. Yeah, I think so. And I think that in general, I think that nothing really gets accomplished over like drinks and dinner anymore. I just think that like if I be, if I was on one side of it and I never seen the other side, then I you might not be able to opine on it. But I've seen both sides. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that what ends up happening is you live in a fantasy land when you go out and you like have a couple drinks, you start talking about nonsense and some of the things are real, some of the things are not. Um, you know, egos are in check and things like that. I think that if you want to get to know someone, if you do something constructive, you know, it doesn't have to be like berries every time or rumble mm -hmm. every time or just like anything constructive, meet at a juice bar, talk like openly about what you want to do. I think that that's a, a much better way of, of networking. And then the second thing is it's a lot easier to meet more people, right? Like you meet for coffee, you meet for a juice, you meet for a workout. It's different than like giving up your whole night to go to like a dinner. I still have friends and, and, and even like my own brother has to go to like three dinners a night. What's that getting you, man? Like, you know, like, so like if, if it, at some point as society gets stronger and stronger and stronger, these types of behavior won't even exist. We're just at the beginning stages of people, you know, immersing themselves into like a healthier well-being. And you still have what I'd call like the residual effects of like, okay, just like, sit you know just stay calm and do these things i think that as we get more and more into this you know when we talk about this five years from now the norm is going to be boot camp classes right that's going to be the norm the, the the next phase of it who knows what it is yeah it's the new golf course right yeah um all right so speaking of meeting people what is the best way for people to get in touch with you um instagram dm is like very very good for me i think that you know if people hit me up on there i try to follow up with them um, uh, pretty quickly. And it's like, it's like an easy way of giving people uh, an opportunity to reach out with like ideas and things like that. Um, uh, so I'd say that that's probably the best way. Sweet. Well, Sean, thanks for taking the time, dude. This has been great. Thank you, man. Solid. That's awesome, <laughs> Hey guys, Dean here again. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, subscribe. You can find Gamma Project on all major podcast platforms. And if you're really feeling supportive, leave a rating or a review. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. But in the meantime, head over to GammaProjectPodcast.com for more information on the show, its guests, and some other cool stuff you might find interesting. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Gamma Project Podcast, no spaces. That's it for now. Until next time. Once again, this episode is brought to you by iFit Nourish. iFit Nourish delivers personalized nutrition to your door with protein, vitamins, and minerals to support your individual needs. When you go to iFitNourish.com, you'll fill out a quick questionnaire with basic information like gender, age, height, and weight before providing insights into your lifestyle, like your typical energy levels, daily sun exposure, whether or not you're a smoker, how often you exercise, the kinds of exercise you do, and of course, your goals. In the dietary section, you'll input how much fruit and vegetables you get through your diet, 
any dietary preferences, like if you prefer a vegan or a vegetarian mix, food allergies, how often you plan to drink the shakes, and whether you intend to use them as a meal replacement or as supplements. You can also pick your favorite flavor. Whether you're looking to build muscle, lose weight, increase your endurance, improve energy levels or athletic performance, or even just maintain, Nourish was created to arm you with the nutrition that you need to go after your goals while also providing a solid daily nutritional foundation. When I went onto ifitnourish.com to try it out for myself, the questionnaire took less than a minute to fill out, and when the system presented its recommendation, I was able to look through the supplement facts before completing my order. Your first personalized order is free, just pay $5 shipping, and you'll get a free shaker bottle. I like to eat vegan as often as I can, so I got two weeks worth of a daily protein shake made from plant-based ingredients. And when you're ready to re-up, use discount code just for you. That's J-U-S-T, number four, letter U, at checkout to take another 20% off any personalized iFitNourish mix. Try it for yourself today at iFitNourish.com. That's I-F-I-T-N-O-U-R-I-S-H.com. 